Howdy, everyone. Welcome to Live Coffee Break on Unsafe Space. Today is what? I don't know. Friday, May 8th. Um, please don't forget to go like, share, subscribe. Go to subscribestar.com to support us. Welcome to everyone in chat. Uh, congratulations to Ninja Kitty for being the chat leader again this morning. And uh, I am Carter Laren, and I'm joined, as always, by, or as almost always, by Carrie Smith. Hi, Carter. How you doing? This is uh, well, my computer is finally broken for good, as you know. So I'm on my phone. Well, we're going to get through this. We figured out how to turn the screen. That's good. Uh, I can't see chat today. So if anybody does, uh, I can't be on the lookout to thank people if they do super chats or anything or to respond to comments. So um, if you guys are in chat, just keep an eye out. Hi, guys. Well, uh, you know, we're... Um... It's kind of good that you don't have a computer anymore because now we can get you a better camera. <laughs> Just make sure whatever newfangled laptop we get me that it has like a really old webcam. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've already thought of the solution here. I'm going to uh, I'm going to send you a can of Vaseline with your new computer so you can just rub <laughs> it on the screen, rub it on the lens and be and be safe. Yeah. I'll just smear it on the lens. Yeah. So you're all set. Yeah. Uh, uh, hold on. I've got I, my, my, my automatic camera, or my camera control stuff is screwed up today. I don't know why. Let's see. There's you. There's the intro. And there's me. All right. Well, whatever. I, my keyboard things don't work. I got to use my mouse, which is a pain. Um, Carrie, we have a guest today. Do you want to introduce we our guest? I do, yeah. So uh, our guest is a good friend of mine, uh, who's one of the I would say the smartest, one of the smartest people I know, and one of the funniest, like really dark humor. And uh, we've been trying to get him on the show for a while. And this will be he. We actually at some point I want to do a show with him about wokeness and pop culture and stuff. But um, but he and I were talking yesterday just about like what's going on in the world the response to this crisis from some from people sometimes friends and family who seem to be cheering on authoritarianism and uh i think he's been struggling with his response to that at like i have like a lot of people have and so um we thought this might be a good time to bring him on so this is my friend chris and he's going to be the international man of mystery and not put his face on camera at least this first time. Welcome, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Um, so I just wanted to, I wanted to get your perspective. We were having a conversation yesterday and I was like, we should just be recording this because this is good stuff. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your, well, tell, tell people a little bit about your political leanings because you're an interesting case. Like you're someone who supposedly uh, it, you know, doesn't exist or people on the left like to pretend doesn't exist because you voted for Obama and then you voted for Trump. And I don't know if you consider yourself on the right or the left. How would you describe yourself? Uh, economically, definitely. I, I think I'm probably center right on a lot of economics issues. Uh, on some of the social issues, uh, I guess I could be considered, you know, liberal, um, not far left in terms of you know, giving kids uh, certain medications to change their gender. Um, not for that 
uh, kind of things. But uh, yeah, I've, I've had an interesting history. I, originally, I was a Democrat. Um, I'm black, if you can't tell. <laughs> and uh, I came. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but uh, my family, of course, been Democrats, and uh, obviously went to a very liberal um, college. And so uh, I was very, uh, I wasn't quite indoctrinated to the degree that uh, kids are being indoctrinated now, but certainly I believed a lot in the Democratic Party and uh, um, certainly projected a lot of things onto them. But around the uh, 08 uh, financial crisis is when I started to question a lot of things. Um, I had voted for Obama thinking that uh, Obama was going to go against a lot of things that uh, George Bush had uh, in his uh, administration that put in place. But... Uh, as I start seeing that that wasn't the case, um, I really started to question a lot of things. And plus, in addition to that, um, the the housing crash uh, causing the economy to to, to uh, go down really made me start questioning um, economics and uh, really made me more interested in trying to understand what was going on and what were the uh, underlying causes for for the things that were happening. And so. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't quite. It wasn't easy because, um, and this is where I, I start to have a little sympathy for a lot of people who are in denial because I, I desperately wanted Obama to um, be what I had projected onto him, and so um, eventually, uh, after studying a little bit more, I, I kind of got over that. And ever since then, I've just been kind of um, researching, uh, exposing myself to various uh, economists. And uh, so now I'm, like I said, probably uh, still right on economics, but uh, kind of liberalish on uh, some of the social issues. This is a nerdy question, but who's your favorite economist? Uh... <laughs> uh, Mr. Soul. Mr. Soul. Soul. Nice. Okay. That's a good. Uh, that's a good answer. If you have you read any uh, von Mises? I haven't read any Von Mises. Uh, I've been meaning to read some more. I've read some uh, Ron Paul, um, Henry Hazlitt, and uh, some others, but I haven't not read any Von Mises yet. Well, uh, when you get a chance, I highly recommend Von Mises. He's, he's my all right. He's my uh, he's my go-to. Although Thomas Sowell's great. Uh, so, so, Carrie, go, sorry, go well, ahead, Carrie. Well, yeah, tell me. Um, so, one of the things you said to me yesterday was that that things are reaching such a head in this country that you're almost considering, um, you know, getting rid of your ban on speaking about political things publicly. So tell me what it, what are you, what is it that you're seeing happening that is concerning to you? I, I'm seeing what I was worried about is seeing this ideological divide that I don't, know if it can be bridged anymore to have people who have such a different view of what's happening a different understanding of what constitutes a human right a different understanding of human nature itself i just don't know if that can be bridged because i I barely get on facebook as it is but i got on yesterday i just wanted to see what people's reaction to everything that was happening and i was just kind of taken aback just how many people still have not budged in their belief that we have to have a total shutdown, that the people who are uh, trying to open business like the woman in Dallas are terrible people and deserve to be in jail even longer. 
I, I was just amazed at just how people are unable to consider other points of view and take that consideration, reformulate their own uh, view of things. It, it's, I, it, it's, it's the same thing with, with uh, people's reactions towards Trump. A lot of people refuse to still kind of change their views on him. And I'm not saying he's like a great guy or anything, but the amount of vitriol and uh, demonizing of Trump when they thought, you know, he was going to be a dictator uh, once the 2016 election uh, occurred. And now that these same people were calling him a dictator back then are angry that he's not shutting more things down, that he wants to open the economy. That is just, I, <laughs> I just have a hard yeah. as a time understanding how people got to that position. And especially people who are my age, I'm in my, my 30s, but I just, I don't understand how people have gotten this far without having their worldview seriously challenged. I mean, how do you insulate yourself in a bubble for this long and not take into consideration other people's viewpoints? I mean, it's easy to do when you're in college, but at this age, it's like, there's just, there's no excuses for that. So like you, Kara, we were talking, like, I kind of struggle because, uh, you know, as, as Carter was uh, mentioned in the previous episode, the about me argument is like, would these people support me being put in jail if I tried to have a business and, and open up on these circumstances or I just tried to go out to the park or something? I mean, it's, it's, it's just unreal. I think they would. Yeah. I mean, I think the unfortunate yeah. answer is, uh, uh, yeah, I think I think they would absolutely uh, support you being in jail. And once you hear that response from someone, so you when you back someone into a corner with the against me argument, you either hear it goes one of two ways: either they like realize they didn't want to do that to you, and maybe they start questioning their things, or they just double down. And when they double down, that's for me. That's the point at which you just walk away from their friendship. It's like, all right, well, that's. Uh, if I should be yeah. in jail, I and, guess we're not I, friends. <laughs> <laughs> but I also wonder with uh, what's going on, uh, if a lot of people who are still saying we need to shut down, how many of them are still so fearful that they want that shut down, thinking that it could keep them safe, versus how many are unwilling to admit that maybe they themselves overreacted initially, and they don't want to have to admit that maybe they bought into to some of the uh, hype of this thing? Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a distinction there, like you're talking about, that I'm I'm trying to make because I I yesterday I was on a roller coaster of um uh you know had unfriended or my I lost a friend yesterday, uh pretty spectacularly, <laughs> I have to say. Um, but I kind of uh was was of the opinion that, you know, and I still am of the opinion that if your foundational beliefs are are based on collectivism instead of individualism, and if you support elevating the government over the rights of the individual, then we are political, not political maybe, we are ideological, we are philosoph uh, philosophically speaking, we are enemies. And, that, and I believe that to be true. Um, but then I, I realized, um, the reason why I've been struggling with this is because I don't want to be animated by contempt. And if somebody is showing contempt, like this friend was, was showing contempt towards all the people who are protesting for their very right to put food on the table, you know, to provide for their kids. 
I don't want to take that contempt and then mirror it back on people. And that's what I was doing in a way. And, and so last night I had kind of an epiphany, which, which was amazing, but I kind of, I was sort of like, I can be, you can be my enemy, but I can, I can choose not to let that contempt grow in me. That's just a very hard thing to do though. Um, and I think that's the struggle that a lot of people, other people, I don't know if you're having that struggle, Carter. I think you, you're, it's easier for you to say, like, if we're, politi- if we're ideological enemies, then I don't want you in my life. And I've gotten to that point recently, but, I'm, but it's hard for me. I've been struggling with it. And so I think a lot of just viewers, people who watch our podcast and people in the comments on social media, um, on my feed and on the Unsafe Space feed, I've heard from lots of other people who are struggling with this. And so... Um, one of the things you just said, I think is really important for me to keep in mind, which is that, uh, which, how many of these people are simply motivated by fear versus being motivated by a desire to control other people? And does it matter? Does it matter that distinction between the two types? I don't know. What are your thoughts on that, Carter? Do I think it matters? Uh, yeah. Yes and no. I mean, I guess first I should back up and say um, I think it's a, I think it's the product of moral relativism that people uh, vilify emotional reactions rather than the ideologies. And what, and what I mean by that is they'll say like, well, these people are very hateful. Therefore, hate is the problem. No. Hate is a valid emotional response to a stimulus which runs antithetical to your values. So if there's an axe murderer that comes into your house and tries to kill you, hating him is a completely rational and even moral response. And if you finally shoot him before he ends up hurting anyone, you might feel a little bit shocked that you've shot a human and killed a human. And like, that's a process, I think the process, but ultimately, you feel good. In fact, there's been studies about soldiers who believe they're in just wars feeling good about killing the enemy. So I don't, um, what I, what I, what I reject is the idea that love is good and hate is bad. Love and and hate are emotional responses. Whether love is good depends on what it's response to. Loving Hitler is not good. What, what the response to, like what hate is responding to that depends also. They're merely emotions. And so I think what a lot of times people are like, well, these people are doing this thing and that's very mean and hateful. Yes, it is, but it's not the mean and hatefulness that makes it wrong. It's the misdirection of the mean and hatefulness. It's the it's their ideological premises that are based on evil that make it wrong. And then that causes them to misapply hate and love. So I have a different view of it. And I, um, I think that my view of this was more common a hundred years ago, but that, or 200 years ago, but that one of the consequences of modern philosophy is, is moral relativism and this convincing everyone that the problem is the emotions, not the ideas, because they're trying to get people to ignore the importance of the underlying ideas. So, uh, I don't know. Um, I don't even remember your other question. <laughs> well, no, that was that, that was kind of it. And I, no, but I, I want to hear what Gus thinks about this. Sorry, I want to hear what uh, you think about that also. Uh, yes, I, I, I agree with that. Because um, obviously there's going to be situations in which uh, you're going to need to uh, defend yourself or 
uh, like the example Carter just mentioned in a war, um, it, it's kind of hard to love your neighbor <laughs> if you're in a war where someone's trying to kill you. So obviously you don't want to be a, a sadist and enjoy uh, that suffering, but uh, you are going to have to put aside um, any kind of sense of you know wanting to love them in a, a situation like that when your life is at stake. So uh, I, I understand uh, um, some of the uh, things you said, Carrie, and, and the kind of questions you had, but I, I tend to, you know, tend to think that that's something that's going to have to be done um, given the certain situations. Not that you know applicable to say what's going on with some of these people online, because uh, as I mentioned yesterday to you, when you're engaging people online, I think a lot of it you're supposed to really talk through that person, so the other people see that this person is starting to go off the rails, and so keeping that in mind um, to, to in order to try to win people to your side by using that person as an example as to uh, showing everybody how bad and um, their ideology is. Because with this event, what's happening with uh, the virus and uh, the effects it's having on economy, I think you're going to see a lot of people go through similar transformations that I did. Because I would think that a lot of people in America were and still are kind of apathetic to politics and economics. But as reality starts to sink in, as people's uh, paychecks and their savings and uh, other things start to be affected by uh, the economy, I think more and more people are going to start asking those questions, why, uh, what, what caused this? And I think it is going to lead them down a road to wanting to try to discover uh, what what uh, created this situation. And so I think uh, having people like yourself and other people to be there to help kind of guide people and to help people think through uh, what's going on, I think is very important. So, But that's why I can't be animated by content because then I become the person online instead of making an example of someone else go, being over the top, I become the person who's over the top. <laughs> I don't think that makes you have to be over the top. I mean, I, I don't, you don't become right. that person. You're not adopting their ideas. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I realized what I was going to add to your, because your previous question was like, does it matter if they're responding out of fear or out of a sense of wanting to be authoritarians? I think that was your question. Um, and I don't like the question. <laughs> I don't like the question. And here's why I don't like the question. Uh, <laughs> the standard for that question is omniscience. Like, I don't know what's going on in someone's heart. I shouldn't be expected to know. I can't be expected to know. And so um, you can only judge my behavior as a reaction to their behavior, not their motives. I don't know their motives. They might claim one motive and have another motive. I might misinterpret their motives. I can't, expect to, I can't be expected to be omniscient. So again, uh, if someone is you know, coming in and threatening you and doing something bad, they might have motives that are pure, but I can only react to their behavior. It's all I can, it's all I can react to. And it's all I can really be uh, judged as reacting to. You can't, you can't say, well, you should have known their motives were this, or you should be able to separate people with these motives from those motives. The standard for, for human uh, judgment is not omniscience. We're not omniscient. We're not supposed to know. We don't know what other people's motives are. And so uh, I think, 
you know, if you're wanting to be an evangelist and you're wanting to pull people from the dark side, you can try and hone your sense of figuring out what their true motives are and try to pull, pull them from the dark side. But to make a blank statement that you should treat people with X motives this way and Y motives that way, I don't think is appropriate because no one, people don't know what mo people's motives are. That's a good point. I guess, I guess in my, in asking it, I think maybe it's because I, I'm starting to think, well, I should treat them all with um, assuming the best motive until they prove otherwise. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, you could, if you want. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I think it doesn't kind of, to me, it kind of doesn't matter right there. They're acting in a certain way. I look at their actions and I respond accordingly. Their motives are kind of irrelevant to me. I don't care if they're, I don't care if they're a social justice warrior because they're little authoritarians, because they're a social justice warrior because they're trying to bang the girl next to them in class who's a social justice warrior, if they're a social justice warrior because they've got psychological problems, if they're a social justice warrior because they're just dumb and don't understand things. None of that matters to me. They're, they're spreading poison, and my intent is to stop the spread of poison. Their motives are kind of irrelevant, and uh, to hold myself to a standard where I'm expected to know their motives is ridiculous. It shuts me down and it shuts down any action I can take because I can never actually meet that standard and no one can. Okay. Um, okay. Well, I want to, I want to switch gears here while we still have you, Chris, I want to ask you since you, um, outed yourself as a, uh, black Trump voter. <laughs> uh, wait, wait, I wait. I, I, I know Chris uh, I don't believe you exist. I've been told that you are uh, fictitious. So um, I'm just going to discount everything you say now, just to be clear. You're a, you're a shill for... That's fair. That's fair. Right. I do hate myself. I have a lot of internalized <laughs> hatred. So. All right. As long as we've got that cleared up, go ahead, Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> well, along those lines, I just I wanted to find out, like... Um, because you you are like I mentioned before, you're one of the smartest people I know, and and yet you're also very private, which I completely understand in this day and age about um, about some of your beliefs. And I, w I wanted to hear a little bit about like what are some of the most uh, challenging, maybe is the word, uh, uh, aspects of of when if you have it revealed like any anyone you voted for or any political beliefs to friends um what are some of the most challenging parts of that or or uh i, I don't know like we like so being a woman i mean you and i have talked about some of this privately that's why i'm i'm kind of getting at some of the stuff we talked about but being a woman uh i i will often get attacked with the um uh well you're a misogynist you're internally misogynist and that's why you believe xyz or because i'm white well, you are a woman, you are in that marginalized group, but your whiteness <laughs> means that you have that opinion because of your white supremacy. So, uh, like, ha have you had any difficulty in expressing or felt any difficulty in expressing your beliefs or opinions or, or some, you know, having been a Trump voter with friends of yours? And what has that been like? Oh, yes. Uh, in fact, I haven't really revealed it to very many of my friends because those I have revealed to those who weren't already in a right-leaning um, 
they reacted in <laughs> quite negative ways. And kind of like what you were saying, I think there is a kind of certain anger um, that people maybe have to me seeing that I'm black and I voted for a Republican, uh, in particular somebody like Trump, I think is uh, um, really angers people. So I actually uh, got into, a, it was about a couple of years ago, uh, got into a very argument, a very big argument with a friend of mine, my best friend, and this argument almost ended our friendship. Uh, he was a Hillary supporter, and I vote for Trump, and I have a very kind of... Um, um, nuanced view towards Trump. I'm not like one of those, like, Trump can do no wrong, trust the plan. I'm not one of those type people. I can say, okay, yeah, this is bad, or he shouldn't have said that. But, or in this case, you know, the media is lying about this. It's one of those things. And so he was uh, very angry with me. And <laughs> the funny thing was that um, prior to us getting a discussion about Hillary versus Trump, I had put on a, uh, some music in the background. I had put on uh, the Dual Fates song from Star Wars. So this <laughs> is the song that was playing when uh, Obi-Wan and Anakin started fighting. And so we started fighting over Hillary and Trump. And he, like, stopped and commented. He's like, how weird is this that <laughs> two best friends are fighting over a song where two best friends in the movie are fighting? Uh, but uh, he, he got very angry uh, with me and uh, he said some things that um, were kind of hurtful because uh, uh, at one point in the conversation, he said that if I didn't vote Democrat, I was voting against my interest. And this was something that really upset me because uh, he, he's a white, uh, white guy. But uh, the fact that he wasn't looking at me in that moment as an individual and that he was telling me what my interest should be rather than letting me define what my interests are. Uh, that really took me aback. Um, someone like him, I had known him for, you know, 20 plus years. And the fact that he uh, said something like this was revealing for, I, I think a lot of uh, kind of left-leaning Democrats, not all, but I think a lot of them tend to look down on us in a way. Like it's almost, it's weird. Like it's like when they point to a Republican to say, Oh, Republicans are trying to say they're not racist, but they go, look, I have a black friend. But I'm like, some of you guys are kind of like that, kind of parading us around like mascots and just seeing as a means to an end. And so uh, he, after this argument, he did uh, kind of calm down and did apologize to me. But I still think that our relationship was uh, fractured uh, from that point forward because uh, it was – and the thing is, even in that discussion, I wasn't like, oh, you're stupid and Hillary's stupid. I was just calmly making my points and saying, you know, I my decision to vote for Trump was voting for what I felt was the least bad of the choices that I had. And so, uh, again, I wasn't saying that he was, you know, this great guy and it's going to make America 100% great or anything. Uh, I was trying to put out all the... Uh, reasons why I um, voted against um, uh, uh, the Democratic Party uh, when Obama was um, in, in charge, uh, based on some of those things that Republicans had um, continued to uh, do, such as the um, invasion of Iraq, the drones that Obama continued, the invasion of Libya. I was trying to make this argument to him as uh, that a lot of those things were continuing under Obama, and a lot of them, you know, now have continued under Trump. But 
given that his stance in 2016 was against a lot of those things, uh, I said, hey, this is what we got, and I'm going to take a chance, roll the dice. And so, um, yeah, our, our, our friendships hasn't quite been the same since then. And uh, other than that, I've tried to keep my, my views to myself um, afraid, but... Uh, as I was talking to you yesterday, things are just getting so so crazy, so out of control that I almost feel the need that I I have to, and you know, gonna lose friends in that process. But you know, got to do something. <laughs> I'm just one person, but I I just feel like I have to do something to at least try to get people to think. I, I don't want to tell people what to think, but just try to think through the information uh, that people are getting. So. Well, I mean, it's pretty, uh, I imagine it's pretty psychologically tiring and uh, just difficult to deal with to constantly, I don't have to imagine, I know, because I was in Silicon Valley for a while doing something similar, to like constantly self-tensor and make sure you're not saying anything that might uh, alert anyone to the the uh, the fact that you're not part of the, the cult. Um, and I imagine it's doubly difficult uh, because at least as a white guy, people kind of expect me to be horrible sometimes. But you're <laughs> supposed to be, uh, you're supposed to be always on their side according to their rules. So um, it's, I imagine it's it's a burden to carry to like have to be quiet all the time and really censor who you are and not be yourself around people. Not being yourself around your friends actually hurts your relationship with your friends ultimately. Exactly, um, having to feel like I have to. Uh, wear you know, gloves and kick gloves when when talking to some of these people. Uh, it does. It creates that kind of distance um, between me and my friends because you want to be able to be open about things that you find are important. But uh, knowing that some of the things I find important uh, might set them off, uh, it it definitely does create uh, a bit of distance between me and them. And uh, like you said, it's 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 funny given that a lot of people who, you know, I just meet, you know, randomly assume that I'm, you know, a Democrat. And so they'll make all these comments about, you know, how stupid Trump or Republicans or white people are and stuff. And I'm just thinking, like, you have no idea what I think. Right. <laughs> it's funny. I was uh, around the time of the election. I told Carrie that uh, I was thinking about trying to test uh, white people's um tolerance for blacks by putting on a MAGA hat and a daishiki and walking down downtown <laughs> waving at people trying to see where does this line where does when does this line get crossed how far will your tolerance go we, you, presumably that, you did not do that i guess i did not <laughs> but maybe one day because you know the sjw i just imagine it for people that don't know in Austin, like Congress Avenue is really just um, a street of wokeness. Like all of the um, uh, billboard, the, the the stores, like the hotel there and stuff, they have um, they have signs they put up. Like during the Kavanaugh thing, I think I mentioned the other day, they had a sign that said, I believe her, you know, it's just very, a very woke part of Texas and, and of Austin. And I would just, you, if you're walking in a dashiki and a MAGA hat, their brains would be like, uh, like <laughs> bag hat, but the dashiki, and he's black, and oh, yeah, know. they'd be like, he's a race. No, I'm a racist. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a good 4chan troll. 
Yeah, that is a, that would be. It did sound like a good fourteen troll. Yeah. Um. Well, uh, thank you, Chris, for coming on today. I just, I kind of, I, I want to. Um, we've been talking about having other guests on and guest hosts sometimes, and and uh, for our audience, uh, you know, I, I wanted to introduce Chris, and maybe we can do some stuff in the future specifically on um, pop culture and wokeness, because you have a lot of thoughts there, and um, continue to try to turn me into a Star Trek fan. It will happen. <laughs> It will happen. It will. Um, but thank you for coming on, and I hope we get to have you again soon. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Thanks, Chris. Really appreciate it. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. And we're going to get him a spiffy avatar. I know he was designing one. He's an artist. He had he was working on one, but um, maybe we didn't we didn't have time to get it up because of... No, there was no there was no avatar. Although uh, we should tell Chris, you can tell him offline that uh, I think the ladies were swooning over his voice, which is very attractive. He's got a great radio voice. Uh, he does. And uh, and Maria Tuscan wants uh, sunglasses and a trench coat for him, which I think would be good. That should be his. Uh, it's like a deep British <laughs> avatar. Sunglasses and a trench coat. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I like it. Um, well, Carrie. Uh, I yeah. guess there's other stuff to talk about today. Uh, do you, I have I have something I want to talk about, but uh, by all means, if you've got something you want to talk about, jump in. No, get into it, because my stuff has just been, you know, personally what's going on in my head and my heart about things, so we don't need to keep retreading that today. <laughs> well, I want to talk about this <clears throat> Plandemic documentary. Did you see this? Not docu- what, I don't know if it's a documentary, part of a yes. documentary. Did you see this? I did see it, and I, I did see that they um, pulled it down repeatedly, and people kept reposting on YouTube, and YouTube kept removing it. And then last I saw, I don't know how they did this, but there was a website, plandemicmovie.com, and I don't know if it's back up there yet or not, but as of last night, I saw they had managed to take it off of the website itself. It wasn't even a well, YouTube Well, it, it was a YouTube link. It's still on the website. Oh, it you was. can download it. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. As far as I as far as I could tell, I have it downloaded just because uh, the moment that anyone starts to censor things, I make sure that they're downloaded and we have them. Um, hold on here, I'm gonna pull up. Actually, actually, I'll do this. I will. Uh, so this, I want to talk about this for a couple reasons. Um, the first is obviously the idea of censoring content you don't like is uh, is ridiculous. So let let's or evil. But let's just—I'm going to just show. It's this in case anyone hasn't seen it. This is a part one of a documentary um, that's been, I guess, uh, partly released on YouTube and then taken down. Um, and it's got we this woman in it here. I'm not going to. Let's just do the intro. It focuses on this woman. Her name is Judy Mikovits. Dr. Judy Mikovits has been called one of the most accomplished scientists of her generation. Her 1991 doctoral thesis revolutionized the treatment of HIV-AIDS. At the height of her career, Dr. Mikovits published a blockbuster article in the journal Science. The controversial article sent shockwaves through the scientific community as it revealed that the common use of animal and human fetal tissues were unleashing devastating plagues of chronic diseases. For exposing their deadly secrets, the minions of Big Pharma waged war on Dr. Mikovits. Okay, I just want to, we're not going to watch the whole thing, obviously. I just want to pause there. Um, 
And I want to talk about this thing um, in general. So, okay. First, we have to say the obvious thing. Uh, when you live in a culture in which lying is normal and the mainstream media lies to you constantly and you're being fed narratives constantly that are uh, just only there to, uh, to, to propagate some approved way of looking at the world, some approved framing. It actually becomes very difficult to tell the difference between truth and lies, and you become susceptible, and this is why I want to talk about this, you become yeah. susceptible to anyone who is saying the mainstream narrative is wrong, here's the right narrative. You become susceptible to their version of here's the right narrative. The mainstream media can be wrong. The mainstream narrative can be wrong. It doesn't mean every critic isn't also a liar or have some agenda. Um, and she is presented in this, uh, she's presented in this documentary as this brilliant scientist who was silenced for no reason, the big, big government and, and the deep state went after her basically. And her research is presented as evidence against, um, I don't know why there's a car alarm. I don't know if you can hear that in the background. Her research is presented as evidence that vaccines caused, uh, were, were unleashing viruses on the population. Deadly viruses actually is the words they were using. Um, and all I did was look at some very basic counter evidence or counter narrative about this doctor. I'm not sure what's right. Um, you would have to probably do a year worth of research and, and interview lots of people, but I'm just going to share with you what I've learned about this from, here's the other side of this. Her, her 2009 paper that they are talking about, it, it purported to find a correlation between chronic fatigue syndrome, which by the way is not a fatal big deal, uh, and XMRV, xenotropic murine leukemia virus. Okay, fine. She purported to find this link. Now, she then speculated that it could be causal, okay? Um, and here's the problem. Now, again, according to the scientific community here, the results were not replica replicatable at all. No one could ever replicate the and results. They, and they tried over 12 times, right? They tried plenty of times. Lots of people tried. Yep. Um, in two th so she released this in 2009. In 2011, the authors, presumably she's one of the authors, <laughs> partially retracted the article. And then in 2011, Science Magazine completely retracted the article. She was then fired from Whitmore, Whitemore Peterson Institute for allegedly uh, for over integrity concerns because they were the, the actually methods of data collection and the, the results themselves started to come into question on this study. Now, again, this study wasn't some groundbreaking like, oh, my God, viruses are killing people. It was there's a correlation between this virus and chronic fatigue syndrome. It wasn't even to do with vaccines, by the way. Her study had nothing to do with vaccines. Like, that wasn't part of the study. Um, she just pontificates later that viruses could come through vaccines, I guess. Um, the next day after she was fired, um, a blogger noted something which speaks to this woman's integrity or 
uh, possibly lack thereof. And let's see if I if I can have if I can pull up a picture of this, I will. Let me see if I've got it here. If I don't, uh, I, I actually went and got the picture, but now it's not loading, so um, I won't bother to try and show it to you because it's not loading. Sorry. Anyway, uh, she reused. She was at a figure in a graph. Um, her figure in a paper in 2000, her 2009 paper had a, had a figure in it, which was, um, uh, purporting to show something. And in a later presentation, years later, she reused that figure and labeled it completely differently. So, um, like, just like she, it was a good picture <laughs> and she relabeled it. That doesn't look good. And anyone can see that you can go and look, I'm sorry, I couldn't pull it up, but for some reason it saved some weird format. Um, but you can look it up there. You can see for yourself the reuse of the figure. Um, she was then arrested allegedly for taking lab notebooks, a computer and other material from her previous employer. The charges were dismissed eventually without prejudice. Now without prejudice means they could be brought again. It means, it means we're not going to prosecute right now, but reserve the right to prosecute, prosecute later. Um, there was some weird stuff. The judge recused himself, and like there was stuff about uh, Harvey Whitmore, who was the the benefactors behind this this institute, had like donated campaign money and whatever. So there's some recusals and some other stuff, and and it, it seemed like the charges were were dropped slash case dismissed with preju without prejudice uh, for like basically reasons unrelated to her case. It sounded like it wasn't really clear. So those are the problems with this. Um, and so I would warn anyone against watching this and thinking and looking at this and just lapping it up and believing everything in this documentary and everything that this woman says because people do lie, women lie, scientists lie, people who disagree with the narrative sometimes lie Wait or misrepresent. Go ahead. Believe all, I thought we are supposed to believe all women, Carter. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right. It doesn't mean, by the way, it doesn't mean everything she said is wrong either. I, agree. I just want our audience to treat things with a critical eye and not jump into this like, there is a counter narrative. That must be true. No, that's not how it works. It, mu it doesn't I, mean it must be true. I totally agree. I actually, um, I did a lot of reading yesterday too. And like, and like you, I came away from it thinking I would have to spend more than a day reading this, which, you know, I spent a fair amount of time yesterday I'm like I would have to read a lot more because I came to some I found some of the same stuff about her study um yeah. and I and I agree that um it does make us susceptible because it because we are looking for um someone who's speaking truth because we know that the mainstream narrative is propaganda right and so then I think that there is this built-in sort of you, you're thirsting for someone who is is speaking facts and it makes us susceptible to people who um, maybe speaking some truth. I do think there are some important points. Yeah, and we should get into a couple of things that yeah. I think she said that were good in here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it just means like don't don't make the whole documentary like a hill that you die on, um, or her credibility a hill that you die on. I guess I'd put it that way. But like if some of the stuff in it, like the the point about patents about the law in the 1980s that made it okay for government workers to obtain patents um, on publicly funded research, which then gives them an incentive to um, hold up any results that they found. And 
you know, I had no idea about any of that. I had no idea about um, the number of patents that universities are, since the 80s, since that law was passed. What is it? What did they say? They've 17 times as many patents now that they go and claim. So it's like public funding being used for research, but then they're able to get private patents on the results of that research. That's not a good incentive, I don't think. No, so and it's, it's completely immoral as well because your tax dollars are being used. It's called the Buy, the Buy Dole Act. Um, Buy Dole. And it has two main features. One is, I'm just going to read from Wikipedia, uh, it uniformly permits nonprofit organizations and small business firm contractors contractors to retain ownership of inventions made under contract inventions made under contracts typically the person paying for the contract gets the invention made under contract usually um in which they have acquired provided that each invention is timely disclosed and the contractor elects to retain ownership in that invention so it allows you to take government grants and and keep the ip the other the other part of this act says um it authorized federal agencies to grant exclusive licenses to inventions owned by the federal government. That, to me, is actually a little bit problematic as well because it's a great way to play favorites, right? The government has this patent, and we're only going to let company X uh, execute on this patent. That's uh, That's got corruption written all over it. Uh, but, yeah, the Bayh-Dole Act, horrible, right? It's horrible. Mm -hmm. Totally we shouldn't have it. And um, so, well, she's so right on about bringing that side, up. On the flip side of what you're saying, um, I definitely think, yeah, we pe people need to watch stuff like this with the same skepticism they have when they're watching, if they already distrust the mainstream, like the legacy media, watch this with the same amount of skepticism and do your homework. Um, but on the flip side, what sucks about this is that you also have people who um, are committed to the propaganda coming from the legacy media who will then take uh, any 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 nuance uh, or any you know wrong steps that this woman has made as a reason to throw the baby out with the bathwater and not to examine any of the other facts, relevant facts in the documentary, like the like like the calling attention to the Bidol Act, and that sucks because yeah. I've seen people doing that. It's like they they already it's like they they come out with a um, uh, they try and discredit the person and they come out with hit pieces and then those hit pieces just get copied and pasted as if it's a refutation of everything in the piece and why they shouldn't listen to any of it. And I find that just as bad as believing all of it, hook, line, and sinker. Yeah, and that's, and that's why I think, you know, it's just speaking to our audience, this is why it's your responsibility to not just regurgitate stuff that you read just because it's counter narrative because you will lose it hurts your reputation too um because people absolutely do that if you keep hearing false things from people and and someone's you know if they if nine things they say are not true you might not wait around to hear the 10th one so um i think it's important to be skeptical but one thing she didn't bring up um but is related because the anti-vax community really likes this woman um because she's an anti-vaxxer. I don't actually have a strong stance on vaccines because I haven't researched it. So, um, By the I'm, way, I'm she not... says she's not an anti-vaxxer in the clip. That's true. But... She does say she's not, but they really like her because she's she, uh, she's not an anti-vaxxer, but the anti-vax community likes her because she does claim that there's contaminated vaccines. I, I, do know, I do know this about vaccines. 
we were told for a long time, vaccines use a lot of vaccines I used to, or I don't know if they still do use aluminum as a delivery mechanism. And we were assured by the medical community that aluminum does not cross the blood brain barrier. It can't possibly do that. Those assurances came from a model, just like global warming. They came from a model, not actual research. There was no actual research. It was just a model they had of the blood brain barrier. And they were confidently telling you aluminum doesn't cross it. As it turns out, aluminum does cross the blood brain barrier. So, you know, we do get lied to about stuff, even related to vaccines. But one one thing she didn't bring up, and I think this act um, is abhorrent, and it's a Ronald Reagan era act, um, the 1986 Vaccine Act. I'm just going to read from Wikipedia. The National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act, of course, child, you throw in the word child, vaccine, injury, sounds sounds good. The National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act of 1986 was signed into law by Reagan as part of a larger health bill on November 14th, 1986. NCVIA's purpose was to eliminate the potential, listen to this, eliminate the potential financial liability of vaccine manufacturers due to vaccine injury claims in order to ensure a stable market supply of vaccines and to provide cost-effective arbitration for vaccine injury claims. Now, as a free market person, I am, I, you know, this happens over and over again. The government comes in and they, they say that they need to provide stability when nine times out of 10, they're the ones who upset the cart in the first place. And they do that by interfering in the free market and it causes some other unintended or perhaps if you're cynical intended consequence. And imagine what we've got now. We've got a world in which vaccine manufacturers aren't liable. In fact, I'm going to quote uh, Bobby Kennedy Jr., who's the nephew of JFK, who uh, I believe wrote this for a far-left magazine. But um, he's talking about the moral hazard now that has been created for vaccine companies because they have an incentive to not know information. I'm just going to read what he said. You have the Vaccine Act of 86. You now have a project that has no liability, so they have no incentive to make it safe. Not only that, they don't have to test it, and in fact, they have an incentive not to test it because the only way you can get sued under the Vaccine Act is if you can show that the company knew of an injury and didn't list it on the manufacturer's insert. So there's an incentive to know as little about the product as possible, and wow. you can't sue them. And there's no market force that keeps them in check because you can say that the vaccine is mandated for 78 million kids. And so the industry just got together and manufacturers said, holy cow, we now have a product that has no liability, and that's the biggest cost for drugs. So they said, number one, we don't have to test it. That's a huge cost avoided. Number two, there's no liability. That's the biggest cost avoided. Number three, there's no marketing or advertising cost because it's mandated. So it's just like printing money. If you can get a vaccine on the CDC's recommended schedule, it averages about a billion dollars annually in pure profits for your company. When I was a kid, I got three vaccines and was fully compliant, and today's kids get 72 vaccines. Now, I haven't fact-checked Bobby Kennedy's thing. I imagine that you have to do some testing to release a vaccine. I imagine no testing is a little bit of a hyperbole, but uh, he still makes a good point, and uh, that's relevant. That's relevant. Wow. Yeah, I wasn't aware of that neither. I think right, so I think the, the, the Bidol Act stuff, and if, I wish they had included this 1986 Vaccine Act stuff, because I think that was one of the most revealing, interesting parts of it me um and i mean there are other things in there were there other parts that were compelling to you 
Um, well, I mean, she talked about, uh, if, if I recall, she talked about the miscategorization of deaths, but we've talked about that before as COVID right. deaths. Like, that's that's accurate. Um, oh. She's not the only well, one to bring that up. Yeah, that part, the mischaracterization of deaths and the incentive that, that hospitals are get, are given to mislabel something as a COVID death was another was another good part. And that part, I thought, I almost forgot about that. I liked that part because they showed footage, YouTube clips of doctors. Many of them, some of them doctors I had seen, like Dr. Erickson, but other doctors that I hadn't seen yet who were just talking to the camera about their personal experiences of being pressured to list things as, as COVID related. And what I found out afterwards, according to some people who had watched it and were posting in the comments is that a lot of those individual doctors videos have been taken down by YouTube. That's yeah. crazy. And I think what, what we can all agree on. Well, I'd say most of the people who watch our, everyone our here, podcast, yeah. <laughs> everyone here can agree on is that regardless of whether, um, she has credibility problems or if there are some things she's saying that you don't think are true or, or like it, she shouldn't be censored. She could have a whole video about how the moon is made of cheese and she should be allowed to put that up. <laughs> like, like, I don't want a government, I don't want a, a social media company that's doing what they're now doing which YouTube is, has told us you have to, I don't know if admire is the right word, but I almost admire their boldness of just coming out and doing interviews about the fact that, hey, we're going to start censoring things and we're working with who? We're working with the World Health Organization to censor things on Facebook and YouTube and take that. And we're going to tell you dumb people what you should believe instead of letting you watch it and make up your own mind. I, I, I find that repulsive. Well, I think it's extremely dangerous because... Um... You know, the only way this it's like and I don't know if everyone on the channel will be on board with this, but uh, the environmentalists are anti-science. They've been anti-science for a long time. And the way you can tell is because they they run around yelling about how 96 percent of scientists agree and that the science is settled. Those are anti-scientific arguing arguments. Those are not that's not how yeah. science works. That is completely anti-scientific. It's dogmatic. And you can tell when they're, they, that they're dogmatic about this because you can't ask any questions and you're called the science denier and blah, blah, blah. So that attitude has now been, because of COVID or uh, not directly, but COVID was the trigger maybe that allowed a lot of these companies, YouTube included, to just roll out their dogma on another level. So now they're rolling out dogma about COVID. Um, and I don't think it's gonna stop there because they've now introduced, as I mentioned before in one of the shows, that WHO guidelines are now sacred doctrine. And the idea that you can't question anything is completely anti-science. And this woman, you know what? I just said the problems that she had with her research. Even if everything I said was true, even if she totally um, stole research, lied, it doesn't matter. She could do everything wrong in the past. It doesn't mean that some points she's making now aren't valid. And um, if we can't have a discussion around these points, I think it does... It does Two things. One is it hinders actually getting to the truth. And two is it actually makes these videos more attractive because now she's the video that yes. was banned from YouTube. So yes. everyone's going to go want to see what was banned from YouTube and they're going to believe it hook, line, and sinker because they're going to assume that YouTube is just afraid of the whole video and you can't talk about anything in the video. Yeah. It, it's, it's dangerous for more than one reason. You're exactly right. Because then it makes that more, it makes it more attractive as 
this must be 100% the truth because it's been banned, you know, for, for people who are already, who already distrust the legacy media narrative. I guess I'll put it that way. Yeah. And, you know, ultimately, this is like authoritarian societies, all authoritarian societies are like this, right? What's the one thing that communists always, uh, we, we, like, always talked about? Lying, right? They, they lie. They lie, 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 lie. That's what propaganda is. That's what authoritarians, the Nazis did the same thing. Lie, 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 lie. They have to lie. Well, uh, lying has real consequences eventually. Like, lying is a misrepresentation of the state of reality. And <laughs> reality wins. At the end of the day, you can't lie your way out of a virus or lie your way out of medical, like, it doesn't work that way. Reality wins. So if you build a culture of believing lies and never getting access to the truth, never questioning, never trying to get your way to the truth, you end up with this, this fantasy society. And, you know, I think the bigger the fantasy, uh, the, big old, the bigger the bubble of fantasy, the more devastating it is when it pops. Um, so y y this idea that the way to keep us healthy is to not have dialogue about conflicting opinions and even conflicting data and even in letting people misrepresent stuff and then tearing them down and showing people why this is not correct and this is not the way to look at it. Like having that open dialogue is the only way to get to the truth. It's the only way as a society that we're ever gonna get to the truth. And the minute anything's shut down, the minute that discussion is shut down, it, it cuts us off from getting to the truth as, as efficiently as possible, which means we're living in a lie for longer, and living in a lie is dangerous. And I don't understand, I really don't understand how people don't see that. I think they, uh, people that don't see that are just acting emotionally because uh, they just, um, they they just they, it's just an emotional response. They just don't want it to be true or whatever. I don't know. It's almost like the, short-sightedness that we've talked about before where sometimes it baffles the mind when like we just talked about the the way the democratic party and um largely responded to the kavanaugh accusations we talked about that on a previous podcast and what blew my mind was in lots of interactions with friends and, and people that i knew in real life uh online and stuff they didn't seem, there, there was this short-sightedness where people don't seem to realize that when you don't have principles, um, that thing, that what you're advocating for can be turned against you down the road. So, and we've seen that happen now, this, this lie of believe all women, um, you know, women somehow are not capable of lying. We have to believe every accusation regardless with, you know, without taking into account evidence, um, that we should believe all women and start from a presumption of guilt instead of a presumption of innocence. It blew my mind that they couldn't see that being turned on them at some point. And now that it has been, now that there are accusations against a Democrat, a high profile Democrat, Joe Biden is running for president. Now it's suddenly you're in that believe all women bind. It's being used against you, right? Like, do, is there no due process? Is is there no presumption of innocence? Do we start from a place of presuming guilt? That's what you guys said, um, and I think the same thing applies here. I think I think it's a a short sightedness where I'm seeing people who are agreeing with their with censorship and with authoritarianism because the people who are currently censoring 
and who are, um, uh, you know, using the government to force compliance to shut down private businesses and stuff, because those because they currently agree with those particular people or those particular people buy they buy into the same narrative of those people who are doing it. And I'm like, but just like with the Kavanaugh thing, I'm like, can't you see down the road how once we've established this, once we've said, hey, we're perfectly comfortable with letting social media behemoths tell us what we can and can't watch and dictating what is truth to us, like they're the GD Ministry of Truth from 1984, right? We're cool with that. They can disappear things down the memory hole. Um, they can look down their noses at us with contempt as if they're smarter than us and they get to decide what's truth and what's not um, and then and then tell it to us, the sheep. Once you've said you're okay with that, you can't envision that ever being turned against you? Like, you, do you think the people doing that are always going to share your narrative? I, I don't, I, Carrie, I don't think, um, maybe I'm wrong. You, maybe you can argue with me. I don't think anyone who said believe women back when Kavanaugh was being accused, I don't think any of them couldn't see how this could be used against them later. I think they didn't care. Because it's a level of, that's a, you have to really ascribe a level of retardation to someone to be able to not understand how that's a bad principle. Um, the okay. only way, like, I, I think that they knew it and they don't care because for them, the ends justify the means. They don't care. They're actually evil people who want evil ends. They want to be in charge. They're authoritarians or out of fear, whatever. It doesn't matter the reason. They want authoritarianism. They want to be in charge. They want their side to win, and it's at all costs. It is. It's the Saul Alinsky 101. It's the. It's the by any means necessary Antifa playbook. It is. It is. The ends justify the means. That's their thinking. They do not care about the principle. They don't. I don't think they didn't know or couldn't figure out how that would be applied later. I just. I don't know. I guess I see a distinction between because I. Well, the, the, the people who are out there, like the politicians, like the, the people in the public who are pushing stupid things like believe all women, I think they don't care. I think it's by all means necessary. Like you said, the ends justify the means. They want the power. They're, but, but I think a lot of the people like, who end up repeating it, like friends and family and people that you know, I'm just thinking of conversations I had at the time. And I'm thinking of one girl in particular she's not an evil person. She doesn't, it's not that she doesn't care. That's why I couldn't figure it out because we kept going back and forth. And I really was like, but don't you see how this could be used? Like this could be turned. And, it, and what if it was your dad who was falsely accused or what if it was, you know, your brother? What was her response? She, she could, she couldn't, it was like we were speaking two different languages. I think it, I, the word retardation is harsh. She's not retarded. She just there's some kind of um, intellectual block there. Maybe See, I it's don't, similar. I think it's an emotional it's some, block. Or an emotional block. Yeah, it's something that keeps you from using your reasoning. It's almost like, like when I've talked about when I was in SJW and I felt like I put my brain in a cage, and maybe that's an emotional cage. But you really you can see some people, and and I know intent doesn't matter as much to you as it does to me, or intent doesn't matter to you. But some people with good intent, they wall off their own ability to reason and to work things out down. That's why I call it short-sightedness because it's like, they're not allowing themselves to see where that leads. 
Yeah, I, I guess the marketing orders, right? The re the reason I'm saying that the reason I'm saying it like I don't believe that they can't see. I'm speaking from an intellectual. This is why I use the word retardation, right? I it's not that they can't they don't have the intellectual capacity. It's that they don't have the psychological capacity, right? Intellectually, it is. I just I really can't. I don't understand how you couldn't see that, right? But I do get how you could have a psychological blocker that would prohibit you from admitting it to yourself. And yeah. I would guess that your friend knew damn well that when you explained it, it could be misapplied intellectually. But psychologically, she could not let herself admit that. She couldn't even admit it to herself because um, she had a need to be on this in her tribe, right? It's against yes. her religion. Yes, she had a need to be in her tribe. And I think it is psychological because at that time it was it was very much like you either say, I believe women, or they, they, they create these false binaries for people. And and people believe it. They fall into it. It's like you either say, I believe all women, or you don't care about victims of sexual assault and you don't care about women and you don't right. and and so people choose well i don't want people to think i'm in this group so i'm going to say believe all women yeah and but i i that that i think in order to get stuck in that mentality you have to have your ability to think independently really mutilated as a child and through school like i think if you if you you know raise a kid without school and teach him to read and like just do some basic like not really school even, just like hanging around the house, learning from the parents, like literally nothing. Uh, so you're not actually poisoning their brain in any way. I, I think it's pretty difficult for to, to develop into an adult without the ability to see that the principal believe all women could be misused. Yeah. Like, like that's, uh, By the way, it, it this... takes a lot of indoctrination to get around that. Yeah. By the way, this friend, again, to, to go to the point of, it's not a lack of an ability of an intellectual ability. This, this friend is a scientist. <laughs> this friend. Right, that's my like, point. It's not intellectual. Yeah, it's not a lack of intellectual ability. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. I think you're right. I think it's like some kind of psychological or emotional block or cage. That's yeah. it's interesting. I do want to, I do want to quickly pause. We had a few super chats flash up on the screen. I was able to put them up while other people were talking, but I didn't get to say anything about them. So I want to quickly say now, thank you to Kent Onufrachuk. Uh, he gave us, uh, money for, he says, let's buy, carry a new camera gang. Um, <laughs> someone needs to contribute to the Vaseline that goes on the lens though. Um, thank you. <laughs> Sandy Kins 57. Uh, she gave us money for a new computer, Carrie. Um, and the last one, wait, where was it? There was someone else who I will find later, and I'm sorry. I, I saw can't Nicole find Pratt. It. Nicole it was Pratt. Nicole, but I don't remember what it was for. And I think um, Tina Fisk also. I saw you flashing them on the screen. Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah. I can't, thank you. Guys. I can't find them all. I'm looking for them now. I can't find them all now. But thank you. I did flash them. I was careful to flash them on the screen so that you would actually get recognition, but uh, you didn't get a call out. Um, so, Carrie, the other, the one last thing I want to mention about this um, pandemic video, and I am going to watch the rest of it when it comes out, because uh, as um, even though I, I don't think everything this woman is saying is correct, and I think it's there's some misrepresentations, she did bring up some good things. I didn't know, for example, about this uh, 
Baudel Act, Badel, whatever you pronounce it, right? Badel, um, yeah. So, you know, maybe she'll have some other things. Um, but uh, the Dr. Fauci thing is, I keep hearing people say Dr. Fauci's going to make a bunch of money from patents, and he's got patents, and like, I don't, maybe not a lot of people have ever, ever filed patents uh, in their lives. Uh, I have. Uh, it's, lots of things are patented. It doesn't mean, I don't want to say this. You don't make billions of dollars off patents, even if you've got a patent that relates to some little thing. Like, it usually takes a suite of patents, especially in, I'm not a medical person, but in the medical field, like, lots of things are related to each other, and, like, you'd have to have a critical patent to make billions. Um, by the way, Nicole Pratt just chipped into the camera fund. Thank you, Nicole. Um, and, uh, and EC Homer's asking a question, which we'll answer in a second. Um, but I just pulled this up. So I don't know if this is complete, uh, but I'm trusting this site. I didn't doing a patent search. It's non-trivial sometimes. Uh, sometimes it's easy. Depends. These are Fauci patents. Most of them are for HIV, blah, blah, blah. But I want to point something out just because you have a patent. People just misuse information sometimes. Again, I'm not defending the guy. I don't know. He might have stuff I'm not aware of, whatever. But whenever I hear Fauci's got patents, no one ever cites patent numbers and says, here's the patent that he owns. Here's proof that he owns it, and here's how he'll make a billion dollars, right? Um, look at he, He's the inventor, but he's not the assignee. The Department of Health and Human Services is the assignee, which means he invented it. So when you file a patent, no matter who owns the patent at the end of the day, you ha you're legally required to write down who invented it. And then it gets assigned to an entity if those inventors worked for that entity or if there's an agreement or whatever. So look, Fauci, yeah, he's an inventor assigned to the US. He's an inventor assigned to the US. He's an inventor assigned to the US. He's an inventor applied for by the US. So maybe it's not even issued yet, uh, although you'd think it would be issued. Um, it didn't say who's assigned to. He's an inventor, doesn't say who's assigned to. He's an inventor assigned to the US. He's an inventor assigned to the U.S. He's an inventor, doesn't say. He's an inventor applied for by the U.S., so probably get assigned. He's an inventor assigned to the U.S. He's an inventor applied for the U.S. He's an inventor assigned to the U.S. All these patents are not assigned to Fauci personally or, as far as I can tell, to any companies that he owns, to the Bill Gates Foundation or anything else. And most of them have to do with HIV AIDS. Now, again, I'm not a physician, so maybe some of these have some relevance to COVID stuff. But this I like... People use, the reason I'm bringing this up is people use really sloppy language, especially if you're not, people who aren't technical use extremely sloppy language to misrepresent things. And they're just like, there's a patent on the coronavirus. Like it, the coronavirus is a class of things. Of course, there's lots of patents related to coronavirus. It's like, it, I, just be careful. Don't go down, don't go down conspiracy theory narratives without really understanding what's going on. And if Fauci has a patent, about a coronavirus vaccine that will make him billions of dollars, please share the patent number with me. I will look it up. I will do research. I'll learn enough biology if I have to, or I'll talk to other people who know. I will find out more information about it, but I have not seen anyone say, here's the patent that he will make money off of. So I, it just frustrates me as a scientist slash engineer to have people running around saying this kind of stuff. Um, and there's Tiger. By the way, uh, so we have more Super Chats. 
So, um, wait, did I put Nicole's up? I did. Wait. I saw Chip you put Nicole's up. Chipping in for the camera fund. There was another one. Oh, EC Homer <laughs> after that. Uh, what do you guys think of Dr. Neil Ferguson? I have um, no idea who that is. Wait, who's that? Wait, do I know? I know that name. Why do I yeah, know that name? Yeah, me too, but I don't know why. I think I just watched something of his. Uh, I, you'd have to remind me who he is. I've, I'm watching too many things lately. <laughs> is he like one of the guys? Is he? He's one of the people speaking about COVID, but I don't. He's an epidemiologist. I'm looking up now. Um, yeah, I've probably seen some of his things, but I can't comment because I, I'd have to look it up again. But if if you guys want, we can go look it up again. I don't remember. Um, I mean, I have we have looked at some other doctors. Um, there's doctors at Stanford that have talked out about this. Um, I, I've, I've also seen some German doctors talk about uh, specifically miscategorizing uh, COVID deaths, which I think is is definitely, definitely happening. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm sorry. We don't know that one. Um, and <laughs> uh, Jenna Lynn, she chips in for some Vaseline for your camera, Carrie. So there you go. Thank you. Thank you, Jen. <laughs> Ladies of a certain age need a little bit of soft lighting and Vaseline on the lens. <laughs> I don't even, I don't know what to say about that. <sighs> oh, EC Homer says he got busted for breaking his lockdown. The doctor did, huh? All right. Well, look it up. He broke lockdown. Oh, wait. With his... oh, oh wait, Carter. Okay. I know who this is. Oh, you do? Okay. Tell us. So this, this is the doctor in the UK. And I'm just speaking from my recollection. I don't have the article in front of me. But this is the doctor who was, first of all, I think during the swine flu, he he made catastrophic claims, which turned out not to be true. And he's the one that in the UK basically said there were going to be half a million people dead and led in part to the lockdown in the UK happening. They they based it oh so he's doctor's... not speaking out against it he's the he's the mastermind behind it <laughs> he's the mastermind behind it and he's been lecturing okay. the public about social distancing and the government lockdown stuff well he just had to step down because he was busted for uh cavorting and canoodling with his married lover ha having an affair with his married lover and bringing her over to his house and breaking his own um stay at home stay safe government enforced rules uh with this woman and Can so, you be in charge of Biden's campaign? Because I would prefer no canoodling to no malarkey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No canoodling. Uh, I, you know, he's like, what I think of him is what I think of, like, the, was it the mayor of Chicago who went and got, that Laura told us about, who went and got the haircut? And it, she she violated her own stay-at-home order. She, she's been threatening people in Chicago if they leave their house with $500 fines. And then she snuck out and got a haircut. And when she was busted, just like this guy, Neil Ferguson, for being a total hypocrite, um, she said, she said, quote, I'm the face of Chicago, which is really funny. It's like the it's which like is insulting to all of Chicago. But that's a separate. <laughs> but it's like Animal Farm. It's like the, it's what we talked about. It's like the pigs. They get caught hoarding the, the milk and the apples. And they're like, do you think we want to eat this delicious milk and apples? We don't want to eat this. We're eating it for your own good. We're the face of Chicago. <laughs> yes, it's, it's, you know, it's for your own good that I get a haircut. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's definitely rules for thee and rules for me. I mean, it's the whole elitist bullcrap, which is what all these people are. So, uh, uh, yeah. I don't know. Thank you, Daniel Keen, for Super Chat. Uh, this is a donation for a new laptop and camera. 
Um, oh, so, thank you, Daniel. Yeah, thank you. Um, and also, we also have a super chat from Lindsay Peterson, who says this is the start of a hat fund for Carrie. Since she's hats. doing so well on the Vaseline. That just sounds weird, uh, but okay. <laughs> it does sound weird. Anyway, um, I'm sorry I couldn't see the chat today, guys. We'll have it rectified soon. So it can yeah, we are better. actually Maybe. shopping for a laptop for Carrie right now. Well, as soon as the show's <laughs> over. So, yeah, it'll happen. But Yay! Yay. <sighs> I don't know, Carrie. Um, so... What else we what else do you need to talk about? What else what else do you want to talk about today? I like I have like maybe a couple other things, but not much. Well, these are I have some more thoughts about um just like me personally not operating with content and but I guess that's best saved for an essay. Maybe I should write about it. I had a I had opportunity. Let me just say this for any of the um any 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 of our audience who are Christians and might be interested in this. And, and maybe if you're not a Christian, you're interested in it too. I don't know. But I've been, as you guys know, and as Carter knows, I've been struggling for the past few weeks. And maybe it hasn't been that obvious, but I don't know. But I've been struggling with breaking some of my own rules. Like I've, I've generally been in the past couple of years, once I left my old belief system, you know, I, I started these things called civility dinners and the idea being people come together because as an SJW, you don't, you don't mingle with people who disagree with you. You don't talk, you don't trade ideas. You don't discuss with people who disagree. You're in a cult, right? So leaving a cult, it was really important to me to have these this place where people could come on the right and the left, Democrats, Republicans, atheists, Christians, whatever, all different types of beliefs come together and discuss things in a civil way and even form friendships with people who disagree with you. And so I've been all about that for a while. And, and, and once I started speaking out about stuff online, I kind of had these rules for myself and um, because I wanted to make sure that my behavior reflects my beliefs, that you can tell what my beliefs are based on how I'm acting and not just what I say I believe, right? Because I found that as a lot of SJWs say they believe one thing, but their actions are quite different, as we know. They're like, this is radical. My bullying is radical kindness. Well, you're not acting radically kind. (laughs) Um, I'm a radical gaslighter. Right? (laughs) Radical gaslighter. Yeah, so that's why that's important to me. And so so one of my personal rules was I, I, I don't engage or I didn't engage in ad hominem. I didn't engage in name calling I mean, with caveats. Like I would I would name call people in the public eye. Like I think, you know, I called Cory Booker a TWAT and, you know, people who are in the public eye, sure. Um, and also if I'm talking about someone in the third person, like on this podcast, I might be like, yeah, he's a sheep or whatever. But in dialogue with someone, if I'm going to go through the trouble of talking with someone directly, if I name call them, then that tells them that I'm okay with name, them name calling me and it goes nowhere. And so I, I kind of had that rule established for myself. And over the past few weeks with this COVID stuff, and I've just been changing, like something changed in me and I have been struggling with it. And I have name called, I have started name calling in the past few weeks. And, um, and, trying to figure out if I thought that was okay for for me now and under what circumstances is it okay? And if I can tell the person is a snake, is it okay? You know, and that kind of thing. Well, so last night it's so it's weird because I had this thing where I lost this um, longtime friend and uh, I don't regret what I said to her, 
because it was true. I do believe we are enemies. And I do believe that, um, uh, sorry, I'm getting a call at me. Uh, uh, sorry. You, you froze uh, I, because I, you're getting a call. There you go. Okay. You're back. I do believe that, that we're enemies. And I do believe what I said to her is that she's exactly like the same person who snitches on their neighbor right now during COVID for their neighbor for going to work or for going outside. Like that's the same snitch that would call the Nazis on Jews who are in hiding. That's the same snitch that would call the authorities and have their neighbor carted off to the gulag, you know, in the, so in Soviet Russia, like it's, it's the same person. It's the same personality type. Like it, you're just seeing it. This is how it's manifesting in people in this particular point in history in this crisis. And so I believe all of that. I believe her ideas are dangerous. I believe her ideology is dangerous. I believe it's evil. Um, I don't want her in my life. All of that is true. However, um, I was, this is more about what I was feeling. I, I was operating with contempt. I felt her contempt towards people who are protesting for their right to provide for their family. And I, I, I mirrored that contempt back on her. I told her to go F herself. Um, you know, I like, I really spectacularly was like, you know, it, 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 I did operate with content. And, and it doesn't mean that what I said wasn't true. It's just that afterwards I was feeling bad and I was like, why am I feeling bad about this? And it, and it was because I realized I, I was operating with, I was doing the same thing to her that, um, that she's doing to people who are protesting, which is not being able to um, empathize, I guess. And, and so I said a prayer and I basically was like, help me to see for me it's like a prayer about like help me to see this person the way you see them or to see my enemies the way that you see them and and then we had a friend for dinner at, right after that and this friend um is basically said all these things that I'm like well I just basically this would make you my enemy based on everything I said today and thought today this person is also my enemy, this friend came to dinner. Because, you know, he was saying, um, you know, he agrees with the government shutdown. He actually agrees with martial law. He feels like we should have men with guns in the streets right now. He thinks the communist countries have done the best job of uh, shutting down the virus, like he was giving kudos to China. Um, he, he said, if you go to work, if, if you're a small business owner and you open your business, that you're putting hundreds of lives at risk. But then he also said, he privately secretly like is happy that this is happening and he wants it to kill as many people as possible because he thinks we've become a complacent consumer society and this will be a good reset kind of thing. So those two ideas are like totally. Why were you feeding this person? Stop. No, wait, wait, listen. Like, no, I'm, ser I'm, I'm actually no. serious. I'm serious. Why okay. is he your friend? Hear me out. Or this she, is a, this is a, a, a friend of uh, my boyfriend and I like him. And, and here's what's ha here's what happened in this conversation, though. He also said some things I agree with, but it was like there were a lot of things that I, I very wildly like. Obviously, his philosophy is completely different than mine. And he he was saying he kept saying we have to give up our freedoms in order to keep our freedoms, which doesn't make sense. And that we have to give up our rights for the greater good using the greater good thing. So but here's what happened. A after I had said that prayer, then we I'm, I find myself in this conversation and and it was really like. This was, I felt like this was, this was what I prayed for. Like this was an opportunity for me to 
try and understand this person's point of view better and to ask questions and to let this person talk and explain themselves and really try and understand how does a mind hold two contradictory opinions at the same time? I mean, my mind has certainly held two contradictory opinions at the same time. And, and to try, like, I, I, it wasn't, it was weird. It was like the contempt was gone. It, it was exactly what I had wanted. I was like, this is a beautiful opportunity for me to like have a conversation, completely radically disagree with this person on outlook, but try and, and through like love, I know this is a contentious word with you and me, but through love, like try and understand where they're coming from and not write them off. And I'm not, I'm not painting a full picture of this person. So you're, it's, I guess you're having trouble understanding, but, um, but it, the, at the end of the day, here's what I came away with it from. It was a good conversation and I pushed back on a few things, but I didn't go like, I didn't push back hard and, you know, up here and there I asked questions or I said, but what about this? And do you think there's any, so now that you think it's okay for the government to take away our rights when it's a virus, but what about other things? Like I was trying to help them feel it out too. Right. Um, at the end of the day, I was thinking about it and it was like, okay, this is why, what if, what if my rules about name calling, what if like, I think it was Augustine who, who wrote about uh, boundaries, giving you more freedom, like voluntary boundaries, boundaries that you choose to live by, right? What if my boundaries of saying, I'm not gonna name call someone one-on-one -on -one back and forth in a, in a discussion, um, what if that boundary is good for me because it keeps me from, from growing contempt towards them? Like, what if that is a good boundary because I need it? <laughs> and it helps me, uh, it helps keep me from dehumanizing my, even someone who is an enemy ideologically. And, and so I kind of came to the opinion last night that like, okay, I've struggled with this. I've thought a lot about it. I'm going back to my old rule. Um, it doesn't mean I can't name call. <laughs> I'm not going to name call public figures. It doesn't mean I can't tell you what I think about someone in third person, you know, but if I'm trying to talk to them one-on-one, -on -one, it doesn't help anything. I don't think it doesn't help me anyway to call them the name to their face and to be like, you are this. I think it might actually hinder my ability to communicate with them. Well, and of course it might, it yeah. And I think it might, well, it might hinder my ability to, I think it might be what is breeding and mirroring the contempt back. Does that make well, sense? I, kind of, but I mean, again, I don't have this like concern about mirroring contempt. Contempt is not, their contempt is not their defining feature of who they are. They could be a per perfectly righteous person and run around with contempt for bad people. And like, it's not the contempt that defines them. It's not the contempt that's evil. Um, but I, I guess, I guess, um, my, my question, so certainly name calling isn't an argument. Doesn't mean you can't do it. It's just not an argument. Uh, and certainly name calling doesn't, help convince the person that you're calling the name like that's just tactically dumb like that doesn't work <laughs> you don't start out like i'm gonna convince you that i'm right you're a jerk it's like all right well that's that's a bad way to start right that's not gonna work psychologically that's just ignorant psychologically um so certainly there's psychological advantages if you're trying to convince that person um if you if the conversation in public uh I, again, I think a lot of these are just tactical questions, not moral questions. It's like, well, you know, 
it is calling a name going to get other people to question this person? Like sometimes, sometimes a name calling is it'll knock someone off of a pedestal that's undeserved. They'll have like a, they'll have a, there'll be a lot of neutral people in an audience and they will think very highly of that person. And the name calling or some cutting remark will be so shocking that it causes people to like question this person in a way that they hadn't before. Cause you dared question that person's integrity or whatever it was. Um, and so it's not like tactically, it's not necessarily bad. It's not an argument. Um, but again, I think, uh, I think what's fascinating is they, they use your own goodness against you, right? You're very concerned about not having contempt and being a good person and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like they're not concerned about that at all. They don't give a crap. Uh, and so you're over here like wearing a hair shirt and beating yourself because you called someone a bad name or trying to like be better and engage more authentically and they don't care. Your enemy doesn't care. Some, some people do. Some people that you disagree with, if you and I were to have a discussion about God and, and a debate about it, neither one of us would engage in name calling and there wouldn't be contempt because we respect each other and we do care about uh, getting to the truth and having a rational conversation. But... A lot of these people just don't care. And, and when they, they're, they're wasting your time and psychological energy by getting you to go back and like question whether you should have called them a bad name or this or that or feel bad about yourself. Like, I just don't think there's a moral question here. This isn't a moral issue. It's just an issue of tactics. Hmm. I don't know. I think from it here where I feel this, it does feel like a moral issue for me. That's why I've been wrestling with it. But I hear what you're saying about, it's also a tactical issue and I, and I keep that in mind too. So whether or not, I, I mean, anyway, this is just, this is just where my head's at today. And, uh, and I know, like I said, lots of our audience is struggling with the same thing or some people are the answer were. So I felt like since I kind of publicly yesterday was like, if you believe this, you and I are enemies. And then later on, I had this, <laughs> later I had this other epiphany about like, well, that may be true. They may be my enemy. But I had this sort of breakthrough of like, oh, like maybe my self-imposed boundaries when I follow them, it, I, I still can acknowledge logically, we are ideologically opposed and your ideology is dangerous, but I don't want to become you. I don't want to become filled, filled with But that's animal. not them. That's, like, that's where I'm pushing back is this characterization that like being angry or being contemptuous or being hateful is them. That's not the defining character. That doesn't make you them. It's their ideology that would make you them. It's the, it's the evil ideology. It's like saying, right. like, this person breathes air. I don't want to do that because that's what they do. <laughs> so what? So they do that. That doesn't matter. Like, that's not what makes them evil is not that they have contempt for people. Some people deserve to have contempt against them. Like, it's the, it's the direction. It's the reasons behind the contempt that matter um but well, i don't know I, for, I guess i just wouldn't talking through this with me because i for anybody who's bored i don't know if anybody's bored or not but this is the kind of good conversation i would have with carter offline anyway where i get his opinion on something so you just yeah. get a little window into my therapy <laughs> i i look i for, i hear, i also want to say this it's a waste of your time and it's psychologically exhausting and and not productive at all to pick fights with people that are on the other side constantly. Like, that's just not a, you, you know, like there's lots of people that uh, I would say are my enemies ideologically, obviously. Um, 
but I don't have to struggle with the questions that you do because I don't invite them over for dinner. They don't come to my house and hang out. So I don't have to worry about whether I'm going to call them a name. I don't call them a name because I don't talk to them. I don't interact with them. The only time I interact with them is if it's online and I'm trying to make a point in front of other people and then it's just tactics. It's just tactics. Um, so I, I, I guess I've come to... I, I've come to a point in my life that I don't spend time with people that are that ideologically opposed. I, I do spend time with people who disagree with me on certain things, of course, because no one agrees 100%. But someone who, who's that off, like, I don't, I, I just don't spend time with them. It's just not a question that should matter whether I should call them a name because they don't, why would I have them in my house? And if I did have to have them in my house for dinner because there was some business thing or whatever, then I would recognize right up front to myself, like, okay, this person is contemptuous. They are horrible. They have bad ideology. But for whatever reason, you know, they are, I don't know, they, they, I, I need to have a business transaction with them or I need to get through whatever. I'm going to intentionally steer clear of everything and just, you know, get, get to my goal and not engage on that level at all. That's fine. Um, but I don't, having someone, having someone to engage with, like I don't need to, you give their arguments too much validity when you feel like you have to argue with every leftist. You understand the ideology. You were the ideology for 20 years. You lived the ideology. It's not that you don't understand it. You know it's wrong. You know it's evil. You don't have to hear every single leftist's parroting of the argument and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with them to figure out the extent of their evil and their heart and blah, blah. Like, it doesn't matter. You can dismiss it. You know, you know it's wrong. I feel called to, I feel called to love my enemies. I'll put it that All way. All right. Well, you do that. Okay. <laughs> <sighs> I love you, Carter. In a way that's different from the way I'm talking From your enemies. enemies. <laughs> <laughs> I'd just like to point out that I feel called to love my enemies. I love you, Carter. That's, <laughs> That's that was a good back-to-back. -back. We need a different <laughs> word for love. All different words for love. Anyway, <laughs> thank you guys for joining us today. Um, by the way, Horoscope Horoscorpion <laughs> says, never talk religion or politics in public. I, I, I know a lot of people say don't talk about religion or politics. Uh, I love talking about religion and politics So uh, and philosophy. So... Uh, I just don't talk to people who are going to be horrible about it. Uh, I can talk to Carrie about religion if I want to debate someone. You know, we're not; she's not going to be evil. Um, so, I, I also feel like I need to I need to find this chat because uh, I really there's an Ayn Rand quote that someone brought up earlier. Let me find it and put it on the screen because uh, it's one of my favorite it's one of my favorite quotes and it relates to what we were talking about earlier. Hold on. See, now that I say that, I'm not... Oh, here it is. El Vaquero. You can ignore reality, but you cannot, but you cannot ignore the consequences of ignoring reality. <laughs> like, oh, that's a good quote. Yes. Uh, and um, Rib Rotgut uh, turned it into like a less intellectual, more visceral uh, <laughs> version of the same quote. Reality... I think I think it means yeah reality bats last so it's a baseball analogy so uh, there you go reality bats last so there you go you can either have the uh, I believe eloquently worded Ayn Rand version or the baseball analogy uh, same thing so thanks <laughs> thanks guys 
Uh, Carrie, can we just talk really briefly about Michael Flynn? Not a lot, just to really briefly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just started reading and trying to catch up on this this morning. Okay. Well, um, so Michael Flynn is, uh, if you guys remember, uh, Michael Flynn was the Trump... Hold on here. I'm going to pull this up here. Michael Flynn was like the first big uh, Russian collusion <laughs> conviction, I guess, uh, charge uh, in the Russian collusion scandal uh, against Trump. And basically, they were trying to uh, get him to flip on Trump. They really wanted someone to have dirt on Trump. And so their tactic was, uh, even though we know this guy didn't really do much, uh, we got to get him on something so that we can pressure him into, you know, negotiating with us, right, to, to you know, give us some dirt on Trump. And so uh, he, he ended up being accused of lying to the FBI over a conversation that he had with, um, I think it was a Russian ambassador. Let me, let me look. I think that's who it was, uh, Russian ambassador. And, uh, of course, his job, by the way, is, was to communicate with Russian ambassador. That was part of his job. So it wasn't the existence of the conversation that was a problem. It was, like, some details of the conversation. He didn't remember some things and said some things that... You know, I didn't do this when he did or whatever. And, uh, and of course, the left jumped on this at the time. This was like, ha-ha, he's lying. They're talking to Russians, Russian collusion. He lied. The FBI caught him, blah, blah, blah. Well, um, as we saw earlier, reality bats last. So <laughs> here's, uh, here's the latest. Let's take a look at the latest. So the Justice Department, by the way, recently just dropped charges against Michael Flynn, which, of course, the left is going uh, crazy over because they believe that uh, this is the Trump Justice Department abandoning justice. But why did they? Why did they abandon justice? Why did they? Why did they do this? Well, let's take a look. His supposed crime. I'm going to read from this New York Post article. Flynn's supposed crime was lying to FBI agents in a January 27 interview at the White House. Yet the concealed evidence... So, by the way, there's this guy, um, Brandon Van Grack. Uh, he stepped down. He withdrew from the Flynn case because uh, he abused power and he withheld exculpating evidence here. He, he withheld evidence that would have... Uh, Flynn could have used for his defense. So let's see what the evidence was. The evidence included, one, a top FBI official's notes suggesting that the entire purpose of the interview was to catch Flynn in a lie and to get him to admit a technical violation of the Logan Act all in order to force him from office. So intentionally going in, trying to get him caught in a lie to force him from office, not that they thought he did anything. And number two, an internal Justice Department memo from the day before that interview calling on the FBI to close the Flynn investigation because agents had dug up absolutely no wrongdoing. In fact, they already had the transcript of Flynn's call with the Russian ambassador that was supposed to be the reason for the interview. They already had the transcript and knew he'd said nothing improper. 
just things an incoming national security advisor should discuss. But Peter Strzok, your favorite FBI agent, intervenes to keep the case open anyway and proceeded with the interview, which even then FBI chief James Comey later admitted was a violation of multiple standard procedures. Both Strzok and the other agent in the interview left agreeing that Flynn hadn't attempted any deception at all. He hadn't tried to deceive. But months later, prosecutors working under Mueller decided that he lied and proceeded to nearly bankrupt Flynn with legal fees and threatened to prosecute his son before he agreed to plead guilty. So, this is the deep state at work. This mm -hmm. is part of the Russian collusion narrative being exposed to the inner workings of how they're doing this. And it is a beautiful thing that he's getting. I think he should get compensation from, uh, frankly, from the salaries of the FBI agents involved. Uh, yeah. They should pay for his lawyer fees. Now, I don't want it to as a taxpayer because I didn't do this. But uh, uh, Peter Strzok did and Comey did. And these other you know people involved in this, uh, I think we should just, you know, they've probably got nice little pensions and uh, decent paychecks. And uh, that's probably, you know, it's probably more than enough to pay for Flynn's legal fees. Uh, so that's what we should happen. So, and Flynn, uh, as someone in the chat points out, Flynn didn't know that he was under investigation. Uh, of course not. This so. is this is one of those things that I want to read more about it. So I, I'm very familiar with the facts that I remember at the time, you know, your, your gut's not always right. I, certainly been wrong on things but when it, this was one of those things at the time where it was like oh this guy is being railroaded is this not obvious um yeah he's like a fall guy and oh gosh who was that other guy we uh, we we i think we played a clip of it on unsafe space but it's been a year or so there was this other guy that was being investigated not um roger stone but someone else and he was explaining how they try and trap you in a lie by going through like 10 years of your emails and saying, have you ever emailed such and such? And he would be like, I, I don't recall. There's like 10 years of emails. I don't there. think so. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, and then be like, ha, here it is. And he'd be like, oh, okay, I did. I did email that, you know, and it's not it, the, the email itself or whatever it is, the detail itself is not important. It's that they're trying to, um, it's almost like a loophole trying to get you of not recalling some minor detail, you know? Right, right. And by the way, this really, I mean, it significantly undermines the FBI's ability to actually do anything, behavior of this type, because I'll tell you right now, and I recommend this for anyone, I'm never speaking to the FBI about anything. There could be a, uh, maybe it's axe murderer day, there could be a rampant, rampant axe murderer in my neighborhood, and I'm like, I'm not, they could be like, where is he? I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm afraid to talk to the FBI. I'm not talking to the FBI. F you, FBI, or I'm not talking to you because you never know. You can't trust their intentions anymore at all. Not, I don't know if you ever could, but you certainly obviously can't now. It's fully, fully corrupt. Um, I finally watched Guilty Admission. I said I wasn't going to, but then a friend of mine stayed in my house and has Netflix and uh, left me a Netflix account on my TV. Thank you, friend. And so I finally watched Tiger King. <laughs> it's embarrassing. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen it, but uh, yeah, my yeah, favorite character in it is the libertarian who is his Joe Exotic's campaign manager. And his Oh, that dude, mom. yeah. Yeah, and he's like, F the feds, when he says the word. F the feds. Yeah. That's my favorite guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I have to. Uh, we owe Maria Tuscan a lot, so I gotta. I gotta share this. Maria wants me to share this. Maria and I had a text exchange the other day, in which she informed me. I didn't realize this. She informed me that. Uh, so she was thinking about. I won't say where she was thinking about going, but she was thinking about taking a flight, and. Uh, she was looking at the rules for the flight, and you have to wear a mask and blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> but she found out something other that seems to be interesting. They don't serve beer or any beverage service unless you're in first class. <laughs> then, then they do. So COVID only is for steerage class. First class people are allowed to have beer and wine, but not... Can first class uh, people take their masks off? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Probably, probably it's 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 only for the riffraff. The riffraff need to wear it's that. It's just mask. like their arbitrary <laughs> shutdown rules, you know. And this is one of the things I was pointing out yesterday as well to someone. It's like, come on, man! You can't pretend that you believe that this is that that this is okay when the laws are uh, laws when these edicts are arbitrarily enforced. It's like this mega chain grocery stores are open, you know, Home Depot open, mom and pop shops close. Like, are we supposed to believe it's safe at those grocery stores? No. Like it's ridiculous. I saw right. a funny meme. It said, uh, Hey, if the, uh, if it's, if it's too unsafe to go to the polls in November because of COVID, um, maybe we could have elections in Home Depot. It seems pretty safe there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we should start calling them Chris Cuomo laws because, uh, you know, it's illegal for you to do this, but it's different for us. Like, I think yeah. there's a, should be a whole new category of Chris Cuomo laws. Um, but uh, I don't know. Maria reminded me also, she sent me the video, which I won't play because I don't want to get a copyright hit. But do you remember when Fred Armisen uh, was, I think it was like the Venezuelan, he was like a Venezuelan dignitary in Parks and Recreation. Um, oh, yeah. And he was like, yeah. we, like he, was, he was saying how great they were because the, the, you undercooked chicken, jail. Overcooked chicken, straight to jail. Like everything was just jail. We have like whatever, you late, jail. You late to the doctor's office, jail. <laughs> like was, that's why Venezuela is so great. It was, I, I totally, I think we're in that. <laughs> those are the Karens. <laughs> you didn't wear a mask, straight to jail. jail. You, op you want to cut hair, jail. Wait a minute, you wore a mask, but it was an N95 mask that should be reserved for healthcare workers? Straight jail. to jail. <laughs> yeah, jail. <laughs> right. Yeah. You went to Home Depot? Jail. Or no, wait, maybe that's not jail. I don't know. You definitely, you cut, cutting hair is definitely jail, though, uh, as we've seen. So I don't know. I don't have anything else big uh, I need to talk about. Um, I just, I, oh, uh, by the way, I, I find this funny as someone who hates uh, environmentalism because it's a religion. Uh, <laughs> California... Woke California with their ban on plastic bags. Guess what happened during COVID? What? Had to suspend the ban on plastic bags because it turns out reusable bags actually are disease vectors. And plastic bags are a great uh, idea suddenly. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love it. So they're, they're the craziest, one of the craziest I've heard of, Michigan too. But because so my friend is now living with me from California and she was telling me, you know, they can't go on beaches there. They can't take a reusable bag to the grocery store because the bag might have stuff on it. Well, what right. about everything else you're wearing and carrying? Like it's just dumb. Yeah. Yeah, I was. I went to. Uh, I went to a store yesterday, um, and or two days ago. I don't remember. I, I stopped by the local store, and uh, they had. I hadn't been in this particular store for a while, and so I was 
shocked they had a plexiglass thing in the front so that when, when you're at the counter, it was like a convenience store. So there was just like one checkout. And, uh, and they had a sign that was like, you can't bring bags in the store anymore. You have to use their plastic bags. Uh, so the plastic bag Nazis uh, have lost, at least during COVID. One other funny thing before we go, I did see another funny picture. Someone I follow, she had a picture of herself outside the grocery store that is requiring masks, one of the stores that's requiring masks now. And she had like a Halloween, like a superhero mask that covered her <laughs> eyes, but not, but not her nose or mouth. And she said, am I doing this right? And I was like, that's pretty funny. I kind of want to do that. Just walk around with like, you know, Batman. <laughs> well, I, I don't remember who pointed this out in chat, but I saw it scroll by. I don't even remember if it was today, but I think it was <laughs> that uh, the uh, um, someone said, I, I, when the authoritarians figure out that masks ruin facial recognition, they're going to change their stance on, on this. And I think that is possibly oh. true. Masks definitely don't help the, the facial, facial recognition stuff. So. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, uh, someone sent me a great clip. Apparently they said it was so funny. Becky did in chat. Um, the Christ Christopher Walken and the, and the governor quarantine. I don't want to play it cause it's, it'll probably get a copyright hit, but I'll, I'll look at it and maybe we'll I'll tweet it out or something later. Uh, but thank you, Becky. Carrie, anything else from you or should we call it a day? Let's call it a day. Thank you guys for tuning in. This is Unsafe Space. If it's your first time here, you can visit us online at unsafespace.com. We have a monthly book club. We just did Animal Farm. We're going to be picking the next book. Uh, I saw people are putting their suggestions, already putting their suggestions in the Facebook group. So go over to the Facebook group and tell us what books you want to read. Um, wait, wait. I have, a, I have a thing I want to talk to you about, book club, because uh, there's an idea that I want to steal uh, about okay. redoing book club. So you and I will talk about it. But yeah, put your suggestions in there still. Put your suggestions in. And uh, um, what else? We have merchandise if you like T-shirts. And uh, you can also uh, contribute uh, financially at uh, Subscribestar. Go to unsafespace at Subscribestar.com. Yep. And uh, merch, more merch will be coming. There's some website redoing stuff that's going to be happening over the next few months. And merch will be part of that as well. So, um, yeah, thank you all for watching. Have a great weekend. And uh, go outside. Go somewhere. Go get some vitamin D. Yeah. Go. Uh, it's more important that you don't let authoritarianism infect our country than COVID at this point. So, uh, go go fight authoritarianism. Have a good day, everyone. Bye, Carter.